Welcome to the Cutting the Gordian Knot podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Pascal's Wager, and we're going to be finding out why Pascal's Wager is often talked about, but the actual text is rarely quoted. It gets a wee bit confusing and thick at times. You see, it's translated from the French, and from what I can tell, <laughs> not terribly effectively at times. So we're going to make a sense of what we can as we go. A pretty long quote, but uh, I think you're gonna I think you're gonna understand and appreciate Pascal's wager more somehow by the end. Without any further ado, Pascal writes, "God is, or he is not. But to which side shall we incline? Reason can decide nothing here. I'll stop right there. If you go to the beginning of this, uh, I'll call it a chapter because this is just a uh, combination of." different thoughts that he had all jammed into one book, um, you'll see that he's kind of playing devil's advocate. He doesn't think that reason can't decide or point us towards theism. He, he does think that. Um, however, he wants to put the kind of steel man the other side. He's, he's uh, purposefully going on the back foot and saying, well, what if you're right that reason can't decide? What, what if you're right that this is just infinitely above us? Um, are we still entitled to choose theism? And he concludes, yes. So let's continue. There is an infinite chaos which separated us. A game is being played at the extremity of this infinite distance where heads or tails will turn up. What will you wager? According to reason, you can do neither the one thing nor the other. According to reason, you can defend neither of the propositions. Do not, then, reprove for error those who have made a choice, for you know nothing about it. And this is in quotes, so he's kind of taking the devil's advocate position. No, but I blame them for having made not this choice, but a choice. For again, both he who chooses heads and he who chooses tails are equally at fault. They are both in the wrong. The true course is not to wager at all. Yes, Pascal says. But you must wager. It's not optional. You are embarked. Which will you choose, then? Let us see. Since you must choose, let us see which interests you least. You have two things to lose, the true and the good, and two things to stake, your reason and your will, your knowledge and your happiness. Let's zero in on this phrase. I think this is very interesting. If you've ever listened to this podcast, you probably heard me explain and defend the fourth way of Thomas Aquinas, which reasons to God's existence from the gradation of the good, the true, and uh, nobility and being itself. But the true and the good are these two transcendentals, which are ultimately convertible into being and caused by God himself. Now, we have two powers. One is the rational reason. And the other is the power of will. And we've discussed the interplay of those in a previous episode on free will determinism in hell. And if you're looking for a companion episode for this one, I would suggest that. So Pascal here is saying that you have two things you could lose if you um, wager incorrectly. You can lose the truth, of course, but you can also lose what's good. Now, one of these reasons is because if you lose, you're losing God, who's the maximum of truth and the maximum of goodness. And he identifies the loss of these things as, well, of course, error and misery. 
It's a defect in your, in your knowledge and in your happiness because it's a misuse of your reason and your will. So just want to highlight this very fourth way type implication and the fact that when he's talking about the use of our reason, the use of our will, what he's orienting towards is real knowledge and authentic happiness. And I think that becomes quite important as we come to the end of this argument, because we see it's not just some uh, uh, some idea of maybe we'll get some amazing eternal life at the end, but I think it has implications for now, because how would living in accord with the truth and experiencing goodness not have implications, not just for the next life, but for this one? But to continue... Your reason is no more shocked in choosing one rather than the other, since you must of necessity choose. This is one point settled. Though apparently it's not, because he stresses his point more. But what he's stressing is that in the choice between God is and he is not, or theism and atheism, atheism, not theism, well, law of excluded middle says it has to be one or the other. So he's saying that you can't not believe in one, right? You can't say, well, I just won't wager, right? That's the rational thing is I, I can't decide with reason. Therefore, I'll throw up my hands. He's like, well, no, because either you have that belief or you don't, right? It's one or the other. And they orient you to the true or they don't towards the good or, or misery, ultimately. All right. So this one point is settled, but... Your happiness. Let us weigh the gain and loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, will you gain all? And if you lose, will you lose nothing? Wager then, without hesitation, that he is. His interlocutor says, That is very fine. Yes, I must wager. But I may perhaps wager too much. Let us see since there is an equal risk of gain and loss, if you only had to gain two lives instead of one, you might still wager. But if there were three lives to gain, you would have to play, since you are under the necessity of playing, and you would be imprudent when you are forced to play, not to chance your life, to gain three at a game where there is an equal risk of gain and loss. So 50-50 chance, heads or tails, well, hey, if you bet heads, you'll win three lives. Wouldn't you bet on heads? Because you only have one to lose, but you have three to gain. And it, you have to wager on heads or tails. So if we're really 50-50 here, and we'll find out that it works even when it's not 50-50. But if it's just 50-50, well, we've neutralized the odds between the two. We can't decide affirmatively just based on reason. Therefore, we should we should look at what we stand to gain or lose. I think that's a powerful argument, but let's continue. But there is an eternity of life and happiness. And this being so, if there were an infinity of chances, of which one only would be for you, you would be in the right in wagering one to win two. And you would act stupidly being obligated to play by refusing to stake one life against three at a game in which, out of an infinity of chances, there is one for you if there were an infinity of an infinitely happy life to gain. But there is here an infinity of an infinitely happy life to gain, a chance to gain against a finite number of chances of loss. 
and what you stake is finite. It is all divided wherever the finite is, and there is not an infinity of chances of loss against that of gain. There is no time to hesitate. You must give it all. Okay, so what he's saying here is, um, on the one side, you have an infinite chance of gain because you don't have one life or two life that you could gain if, if you bet on theism, but you have potentially infinite happiness, infinite life to gain if you bet on that. So he's kind of uh, preempting the objection, yeah, but do you have a corresponding infinite life to lose if you made the wrong choice? And he's like, no, <laughs> you don't, because you're just wagering um, the choices you make in this life. You're wagering one finite life for the chance at infinite life. So if you'd be dumb to pass up a bet where you have a 50-50 chance of winning three times over, well, then what the heck are you doing giving up a bet where uh, you could you could offer the finite as your, as your uh, bet and win the infinite as your reward? Okay, and thus, when one is forced to play, he must renounce reason to preserve his life rather than risk it for infinite gain, as likely to happen as a loss of nothingness. See, this is what I mean about the French. I have no idea what I just read there. For it is no use to say it is uncertain if we will gain, and it is certain that we risk, and that the infinite distance between the certainty of what is staked and the uncertainty of what will be gained equals the finite good, which is certainly staked against the uncertain infinite. It is not so, as every player stakes a certainty to gain, an uncertainty. And yet he stakes a finite certainty to gain a finite uncertainty, without transgressing against reason. There is not an infinite distance between the certainty staked and the uncertainty of gain. That is untrue. In truth, there is an infinity between the certainty of gain and the certainty of loss. But the uncertainty of the gain is proportioned to the certainty of the stake according to the proportion of the chances of gain and loss. Hence it comes that if there were as many risks on one side as the other, the course is to play even, and then the certainty of the stake is equal to the uncertainty of the gain, so far as it is from the fact that there is an infinite distance between them. And so our proposition is of infinite force when there is the finite to stake in a game where there are equal risks of gain and loss, and the infinite to gain. This is demonstrable, and if men are capable of any truths, this is one. I confess it. I admit it. But still, there is no means of seeing the faces of the cards. Yes, scripture and the rest, etc. Yes, but I have my hands tied and my mouth closed. I am forced to wager, and I am not free. I am not released and so made that I cannot believe. What then would you have me do? True, but at least learn your inability to believe, since reason brings you to this, and yet you cannot believe. Endeavor then to convince yourself, not by increase of proofs of God, but by the abatement of your passions. You would like to attain faith, and you do not know the way. You would like to cure yourself from unbelief and ask the remedy for it. 
Learn of those who have been bound like you and who have now staked all of their possessions. These are people who know the way which you would follow and who are cured of an ill of which you would be cured. Follow the way by which they begin as acting as if they believed, taking the holy water, having masses said, even this will naturally make you believe and deaden your acuteness. But this is what I'm afraid of. And why? What have you to lose? But to show you that this leads you there, it is this which will lessen the passions, which are your stumbling blocks. The end of discourse. It literally says that, guys. Um... He has a few other kind of disconnected thoughts on there that, that we won't get into um, at length. So let's, um, let's make a few comments here. There is a big, long uh, something about uh, the infinity and the finite and the certainty and the uncertainty and, and what all exactly this means. I think what he was trying to say is that uh, it's uncertain. It, let's grant that it's uncertain that either one will come up to be true. Um, but we do have certainty that if one was true, what the outcome would be. So if theism were true and we aligned with this one, then we could be certain that uh, we would have the reward of, of heaven, right? But if it was false, then although it's uncertain whether or not it is false, it is certain that if uh, the claims of theism were false, then we would not receive those things. So it seems to be that his claim is that the uncertainty of the bet is canceled out on either side. And what we're left with is the certainty of the outcome, since one of them will eventually become the case. Either we find out that we are correct or we find out we were wrong. So I think that's pretty straightforward, actually. We should choose, not based on the probability of which one is correct or not correct, because at least in this scenario, he's saying that this is a probability we can't really assign. Instead, we should look about look at uh, what the outcome will be. And this reminds me of um, oh, uh, uh, Nassim uh, Nicholas Taleb. If you've ever read any of his books, they're very good, very entertaining, very readable. And he makes the same point. He does a lot of risk management stuff, and he talks about tail end events. He wrote a book, uh, I think, called The Black Swan, right? Made quite the big splash. He would say exactly this. He would he would give an example. Let's say uh, you're going to go out on a bike ride. What's the odds that you fall off your bike and you break your head? Oh, I mean, I the answer is you just don't know. <laughs> But in this case, since we don't know the odds necessarily, we can't use reason to, uh, to find out if I will fall this time or not. That's just a bunch of contingent events. I mean, we could kind of make an argument, you know, maybe you're bad at riding a bike. Maybe this time of day, there's a lot of people you're going to have to swerve around on the trail you're riding. But we can't actually determine what the odds are, whether we would fall or whether we would not fall in this future state. Now, one of them is the case. Either we will fall or we will not fall. So Talib would say with Pascal that in this case, we should instead look at what would be the outcomes. So if we wear a helmet, well, nothing really bad happens. But if we don't wear a helmet, well, it could be that we break our heads and we become a vegetable. Um, 
So in this case, we should probably wear a helmet. I would say this is the equivalent. We should wear the heavenly helmet, if you will. All right. Um, now, there's lots of objections, and we're going to get to a few of those. But um, I do want to point out that we don't have to just take the 50-50 um, split example and run with that one. A lot of Christians say that this makes sense for people who are really just just on the edge. Don't know if I want to be, be an atheist or be a theist. It's 50-50. It's like that uh, heads or tails flip that Pascal was talking about. Well, I, I don't know if that's really what he meant, because I gave the example of the bike ride. If anything, it's more likely you're going to go and do the ride safely. In fact, vastly more likely. I think what it really is about is about uh, when we have reasons on two sides of something, and it's not conclusive, at which point the will has to step in. Now, I referenced that earlier episode that I did on free will, determinism, and hell, and I get into that a lot more, and we read from St. Thomas Aquinas, who talks about reason presenting things to the will, and then the will is that thing within us that weighs these reasons, and then inclines us to one or the other. I think that's what he's zeroing in on, and we have a few clues from the text, one of which is he explicitly talks about the role of reason and of will. And then, as he talks about the bet, he zeroes in on the action of the will. So, I would say, it's not just 50-50. It's whenever we don't know the probability, and there are indeed reasons on both sides. That's when we can use Pascal's wager. Now, some may object, but Jake, we can't, uh, we can't make ourselves believe something. And this is a, this is a pretty common view that, that belief is something that we don't do instead of kind of happens to us, right? And I think there's a lot of cases where that's, that's true. So if you look out your window and you see a, a white car, you don't say, well, I looked out my window and then I chose to believe that was white. Well, no, there's a sense in which the white car is the cause of the belief in you that the car is white. And Aquinas and others affirm that, sure. Um, other examples are uh, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Even if I offered you a bazillion dollars, um, you, would, you would not be able to make yourself believe that's, that's 5. But the first case is self-evident, and the second case is just uh, logically determined by the nature of numbers. This is not what we're talking about with Pascal's wager. To give an, another example, we could say, uh, let's say two teams are going to play each other in the Super Bowl. Is there a mathematical formula that you could run to find out who's going to win? Uh, no. Is it self-evident by just looking at the teams? Well, no. Well, this is a case where it's not irrational that one wins. It's not random that one wins. But it's also not strictly determined, at least by things that we can know. Two very smart people in the world of sports could, uh, could offer good reasons for each side to win. And those reasons wouldn't be false at the end, at the outcome. It would still be true. It's just that it turns out that those weren't the definitive things, that maybe uh, that wasn't weighed with the proper weight. So I'd say in these situations, one could 
choose to believe one thing or the other. I bet that if I offered you a million dollars to believe that one team would win over the other, you could find a way. And here's how I would suggest you would find a way to actually believe that one team would win and the other would not. That is, you'd become a fan of that team. Have you ever met somebody who's a raving sportball fan? Um, I had a, a roommate slash cousin who came to live with me in college as we uh, went to good old U- Liberty University. Good old cousin Sam was a raving Liverpool fan, so much so that on the mornings where they were playing, he would knock on our doors, wake us up, hand us a beer, a plate of pancakes, and a Liverpool jersey. He insisted we all dressed up the part. He would teach us the songs and sing them, and sing them loudly. He'd play it on his massive TV, he'd tell us about all the characters, he'd describe everything that was going on, and his goal was to make us Liverpool fans. Now, if you asked anybody who's one of these fans, do you think that's the best team? Well, they're going to say yes. Do you think they believe it? Well, I, I would say yes. And if you had to come to the belief that Liverpool was the best soccer team, um, I would suggest you could probably do that. And you do that by becoming a fan, by singing the songs, by wearing the stuff, by eating the pancakes, by drinking the beer. You could do that. Although you can't choose your belief, you can choose to cultivate a type of disposition to weigh some things more heavily than others. Let me give you another example. Um, let's Let's say you're married. You could choose whether or not you think your spouse is wonderful or not. And I'd say that That'd be pretty easy. You could choose to either cultivate a spirit of ingratitude to weigh your spouse's faults heavily, to zero in on disappointments, on fights, on faults, on failures, and ta-da, you've done it. If you keep doing that, then eventually you will come to believe that your spouse is in fact a terrible person. That's all you have to do. You have to just weigh the faults as heavier than the virtues. You have to zero in. You need to think about, call to mind all of the things which are bad about them. And I guarantee you, that will change your belief about them. Not because you sat in an armchair and said, I'm going to believe something different about my spouse today. No, no, no. Because you did actions which inclined you to believe one thing or another. So in that respect, we can come to believe things purposefully. And I like how how Pascal describes it at the very beginning of that quote. He talks about embarking, right? We're setting off on a journey either towards theism or atheism. So let's take another example. Um, I, well, this will be the last example, but I really want to drive home this point that what we're really talking about is becoming a fan is entering into uh, entering into a group of grabbing onto an identity. So I just sold my 40-year-old pickup truck, which was basically a motorized wheelbarrow slash death trap, and I bought a, uh, a Ram 1500 with the Hemi. Now, prior to doing that, I didn't have a very strong opinion on what, what pickup truck brand was the best. However, After buying that truck, 
Well, I have a very clear opinion, and I also have good reasons that I could offer why my truck was the best truck of 2005. Now, are those reasons true? Well, sure. But I'm sure that if I bought something else, if I chose to make a sacrifice of money in this case, in order to uh, to uh, buy into that brand, if I did that, I might have a different opinion. So you can, in, cho- in fact, choose what you believe to a large extent. And in this case, we have a choice through sacrifice. You give something up for a, uh, for a good, be it a pickup truck, or be it a spouse, or, or be it God himself, be it a sports team. If you make a sacrifice, you're going to find yourself associating with that more. Welcome to religion. That's why we always have sacrifice at the heart of religion, because that type of action draws you closer. It makes you a fan of that thing. It's an act of worship, assigning worth. You're saying the money is less important than this. And when you do that, not just think that, but when you do that, well, that's when that worship starts to cultivate and change you to make you a fan of that which you sacrificed for, that which you put in a high place of worth. Okay, so to list out a few ways that uh, you can come to belief, um, come to allegiance, come to be a fan, uh, one is you can join a community. So we have uh, we have cousin Sam with his Liverpool uh, people. He, he'll crowd around in a bar with everybody else wearing red, singing the songs. That causes him to have greater allegiance, to believe more strongly in this team. It's because he's entering into this community, right? The strength of the community there is shared. To make sacrifices, right? That can be time, that can be money, that can be who knows what. Entering into rituals, that's something else which causes you to believe, causes you to become a fan of things, causes you to have allegiance. Think about all those sports people who say, oh, I always wear my lucky socks every time I go to the game so they'll win. They're adding rituals. This is a very basic human idea that you add rituals in order to enhance the the importance of this thing. It's, in a sense, an act of, of worship. And of course, we could talk about the great saints of whatever we're dealing with here. So in the sports arena, if you really want to believe that uh, Liverpool is the best English Premier League soccer team, well, then you need to talk about the great saints in this. Describe who, what's his name, Suarez was. Um, was it Suarez? I don't know. I don't actually, I, it didn't work. I'm not that big a fan. Anyways, you need to talk about these people. What's great about them? What did they do? What was their past? You bring them into this history. You need to evangelize, do what good old cousin Sam did, and give people jerseys and feed them pancakes and pour them beer and sing the songs, right? That's going to help you become a fan by helping other people become fans. And finally, by studying the reasons why one thing is indeed uh, good or true or beautiful. So in the case of the pickup truck, you find out why the Hemi engine was so great at that time. Um, in the case of the sportball people, you look into the uh, players and the plays and the strategies that they do. And in the case of God, you look into the five ways of Thomas Aquinas, especially the fourth way, I may add, and you understand the reasons for this. Now, did anything I say contradict reason? 
Well, no, especially not the last thing. I said, look into the reasons. Instead, it's putting your putting your actual habits into line with a choice that you made. And you make that choice because of two things. One, because reason has shown you that this is indeed a path, that this could be true. And secondly, because reason has showed you that by pursuing this path, it will be better for you. Not with certainty, you might not have that. But instead, at least probabilistically, given the vastly differential rates of return from the two options. So I would say, if we're going to take more of an Augustinian bend, and he does later on, um, either you're a fan of God or you're a fan of self. I think that's what the Augustinian wager would be, and that we have to cultivate um, being a fan of one or the other. Now, Pascal brings up the good and the true. All goodness and all truth is caused by God. All goodness and truth that we see is just a diluted form. It tells us something about God. And by enjoying and having gratitude for uh, the good and the true that we find, we're becoming fans of God. But by turning away from truth, by turning away from goodness, by turning away from being itself, by turning away from beauty, turning away from nobility, we're just caving in on oneself. By turning to pride, we're making self in the place of highest worth. By being selfish, we're doing the opposite of sacrificing for something extrinsic for the good. We're just, we're just self-aggrandizing. So I'd say those are your two choices. Yes, it's atheism or theism, but at the very end of the day, it's do you want to be a fan of God and get the rewards, which... Uh, which will come about, but let's say might come about because we're playing devil's advocate. Or do you want to just become a fan of self? Do you want to just cave in like, like Augustine describes? And well, I would say there aren't any rewards to that, but I don't know. Let's pretend there were. That's nothing like if you were a fan of God all your life. And of course, if we if we're a fan of the good, of the true, the beautiful, if we're a fan of nobility and that draws us all the way up to God, through our practices, through our reason, through the power of our will. Well, what would happen if we were totally wrong about that? Well, I'd say we would still live a happy life, pursuing goodness. I would say we'd still be intellectually fulfilled, following truth. I would say that we'd still get to enjoy the uh, awe of the created order if we were following after beauty. And I would say that we would be rising to the contemplation uh, of higher things if we follow nobility. So in the worst case, if we become fans of God, I don't think that's a, and, and if we were wrong, we're not, but let's say we were wrong and we were fans of God. I don't think that's a bad life at all. But I'd say the worst case of being fans of only self and then finding out that you were wrong to do that, well, the worst case is hell. All right, so here's another objection that you may have heard. Oh, come on. There's so many other gods. Why pick yours? Why, why think that the Christian God would be the right God? What, there's like a 10,000 gods? Why couldn't it be Zeus, right? Maybe Zeus would be very angry that you worshiped Yahweh. So it's just so many options, right? So we can't really run this. It's not one option or the other. It's a bazillion options on one side or, hey, naturalism, which seems scientific and rational on the other. Well, first, I would say that 
rational arguments do converge on a God who is one. So that rules out all types of uh, polytheism. I think most intelligent atheists would say that it's much more rational to be a classical theist. I mean, come on, are you going to say that that Aristotle, that Plato were foolish for believing that ultimately there's this one, uh, this one cause, this one grounding reality? Well, no, they weren't. So if we believe in the one God of monotheism, well, that clears the board of a heck of a lot of religions. That gets rid of all sorts of paganism, all sorts of... Uh, uh, just kind of lesser spirit worship stuff that could be called a, a religion. And that leaves us with just a, a handful of classic monotheistic religions. So no, we're not choosing between 10,000. We're basically choosing between Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and I don't know, Zoroasterism, right? That's monotheism. Um, I guess we could have the conversation about how likely it is that Zoroasterism is true. I would say it's not, but that's another podcast. So if you want to know why we would pick Christianity out of these monotheistic ones, why why we would choose that, I would suggest the top 10 Christianity episode, and I give 10 reasons why we should preference Christianity, given classical theism. And if you want to know more about why we should think about theism at all, why I have a top 10 episode for why classical theism. All right, so I don't think that this is a convincing argument, and I mean, we could turn this around. Two can play at this game. So let's pretend that there really were, say, 10,000 ways to be a theist. Well, and that none are really preferable. Well, guess what? There could be 10,000 ways to be an atheist. You claim that you can achieve these certain goods that a theist cannot. Well, how do you know that's true? Why do you think that, that, that your particular mode of being an atheist will indeed reach these goods over and above what a theist would reach? It, it, you, a, you don't know the counterfactual. And two, you can't predict the future. And there are a thousand different ways to live, 10,000 different ways to live as a theist. So we just have – life is – full of contingent realities. So why would we uh, why would we think that you have this uh, sure bet? I don't think you do. If you can launch this many gods objection, I can launch a many ways to be an atheist objection, at which point the two cancel each other out and we're back to the original argument. Next objection. The utility value of any possible uh, theism compatible action would be infinite because it's multiplied by infinity. For instance, maybe God likes atheists because we're so delightfully rational. That's a non-zero chance. And the value of heaven is infinite. Therefore, the value of my action as an atheist, which has a non-zero chance of being wrong, is infinite. And since these infinities are in fact equivalent, um, then I can be justified in being an atheist, since God might like atheists and Given your reasoning, we have infinity multiplied by this admittedly low chance, but a chance nonetheless, and we should choose based on the risk-adjusted rate of return, which would equal your theism option. Yeah, no. You see, the loss of heaven is an infinite loss and therefore cancels out the infinite magnitude that you're relying on when describing the infinite gain of heaven. So let's give it a, a for instance, a one in 100 chance of winning $100 is worth $100. It's worth $1, right? One in 100 of $100 is worth $1. But you're ignoring the fact 
that in the 99 failures in our scenario, that actually represents a loss. So no, the actual value of this bet is not equivalent because you're not weighing the fact of failure, which is the alternative to, to this success. So we do, in fact, have something which cancels out the infinite on the other side, and it's the infinite loss of heaven if it's wrong. So those two cancel out, and you're left with the comparative probabilities. Okay, and then we have, to, and then when we look at those options, we have the um, positive and the negative for the two starting cases, and the negative is bad for one, neutral for the other, good for one, neutral for the other. So no, I don't think that's terribly convincing either, because we just have the magnitudes canceled out. Objection: This wager begs the question. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think people think that we're assuming theism. We're not. Like, that's the whole point of this. That's like saying that you beg the question when you lay out the consequences of of, uh, of winning if you turned up black on a roulette table and what the consequences of winning if you turned up red on a roulette table. You're not begging the question. You're simply treating each as possible. So that's the whole point of this, is we're treating, treating both as possible and then we don't know what the relative probabilities are, but we do know what the outcomes are. And therefore, like good old uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb would say, we ought to choose not based on the probabilities we don't know, but based on the certainties that we do know, as Pascal would say. Oh, let's see. Objection. God wouldn't reward and punish just for belief. Yeah, maybe that would work for like uh, if there's a uh, certain types of Protestants advancing Pascal's wager who seem to think that salvation is just from uh, believing a few things, uh, intellectual assent to a couple propositions. As Catholics, we don't think that. We think that, well, go back to the Protestant versus Catholic gospel episode. I know I'm referencing a lot, uh, but we believe that salvation is based on allegiance. It's by being a fan of God, by shaping your life around God, by setting course towards belief in theism and uh, using the help of the sacraments along the way by loving God, by loving neighbor to the point that, uh, to the extent that we're able and by going to confession when we fail, right? It, it doesn't matter if you have a lot of doubts, uh, it matters what you do. And especially if you have doubts, it matters what you do all the more because you are cultivating a life of either faith or the opposite. You're charting a course. You are embarking towards theism or atheism. You're choosing whether you want to be a fan of the good, the true, and the beautiful or not. All right, to harp on this belief thing a little bit more, because this is the number one objection that we just can't choose to believe, and therefore Pascal's wager doesn't work. Let me just ask you this. Who would be more likely to be an atheist? Like, like a real one, one who truly believes. Someone who reads all atheist materials, listens to all atheist podcasts, lives a life devoid of moral strictures and shuns religion, or that same person, if they chose to look deeply into theism, if they attend mass, if they care for the poor, if they pray daily, even prayers which were conditional, if you exist God. And that same person, if they sought the conformity to the moral life to the extent that they were able. If you think that the probability of that person 
being equally in, would be equally inclined to one position or to the other, irrespective of which course they chart, you're completely off your rocker. Obviously, you're more likely to be a convinced and ardent atheist if you set that course versus if you set the one towards theism. That's obvious. Um, you can choose to be a fan, a Mopar fan, a craft beer fan. And, and at the end of that, you'll really believe that those things are better. You can choose to become a Liverpool fan and you'll really benefit when they win with, because you'll have real excitement. You can choose your allegiance. In marriage, we choose to be loyal to and faithful to our spouse. And by so doing, we really become that. If, you, if you've ever been in the military, you've chosen to become loyal to the military, to your unit, so much so that you're willing to die. Did you choose that loyalty from an armchair? Did you choose the allegiance to your nation through um, some type of uh, thinking real hard? Was this an act of just purely mental assent? No, of course not. You chose it through action, through shared community, through sacrifice, through shared purpose, through common experience. You actually did the things. You charted the course. That's how you chose belief. You chose actions, and your actions brought about belief. So God is no different. When Pascal says to act as if you believe, he's not really saying fake it till you make it. He's saying we choose our loyalty. We choose to choose the things which bring us belief. They don't contradict reason. They're not contrary to reason. We set the course because of reason. All right. I think we'll call it right there. I think Pascal's wager is a strong argument, and it should at least give good reason for somebody who is uh, doubtful of theism to investigate it, because there is no harm in investigating theism in investigating Christianity and investigating Catholicism. I think this similar wager can be run at all three levels, theism, Christianity writ large, and, uh, and Catholicism. Uh, each one of those works, we have asymmetric payouts for being correct in each one of those cases. And uh, yeah, I think people should take this seriously. We don't have to backtrack all the way to saying that it has to be 50-50 in order to use Pascal's wager. What matters is that we... Uh, have an asymmetric payoff, and we don't know the probability because uh, the uh, the arguments are are not always uh, completely conclusive. I believe some are, but um, we're we're taking the position that even if they aren't, there's still good reason to shape your life in order to be a theist. All right, well, let's call it there. Um, as always, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or really any of the episodes, I do ask you to share it with a friend. I appreciate when I see the podcast growing. Uh, if you can rate or review it on whatever you're listening to, that gives me great feedback about uh, what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong, and what I'm doing in between. And you can always email me at thegordiannot101 at gmail.com. We always need more mailbag questions. We've been running low. So email me at thegordiannot101 at gmail.com with anything you'd like to say. And thanks for listening.